Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. There are a group of wonderful professionals out there that go beyond their limits every single day trying to protect the communities they serve. And we're talking about the police officers and how in the world do they do that under the duress of violence, confusion, chaos, community complications, racial complications, so forth and so on. How do good police officers try to do the job that they want to be able to do for communities without completely uh, bungling it? It's an impossible circumstance in many respects. Many of them do a great job. But, of course, as we all know, in our, in our society in the United States, we are having a difficulty with those few that are not able to do a good job. But to help us along discovering what tools are available for police officers and helping communities, Jean Herschel has decided to offer a program to officers that will help them be able to face the potential dangers and simultaneously be able to serve the community and protect themselves. Well, maybe that's a bit of an overstatement, Jean Herschel. I'm not sure, but introduce what it is you do with police officers and why in the world did you decide to step into that stream of, of assistance? Well, I have a technology that I like to call Blame Amy. And the reason I call it Blame Amy is um, we're working on a part of the brain called the amygdala, and to call it the amygdala kind of confuses people, and what we want to do is engage people. And we're dealing with a lot of people who aren't scientists, who aren't doctors. So Amy is the part of your brain that when it senses danger, guess what? It shuts down part of your thinking brain, and engages your old lizard brain. So that's basically, that's basically the way I started this, is by recognizing that a lot of the issues I, I deal with on a day-to-day basis, you know, I do um, hypnosis therapy for people who don't have, you know, months and months to wait for change. They, they want to lose weight soon. They, they want to change their behavior soon. And rather than waiting for months for that to happen, they want to engage it now. So I use the best tools available to me to help people quickly. And in the process of doing that, I've discovered this part of the brain that, once triggered, makes people react in a very non-characteristic way. And when they react that way, that causes a lot of problems. And that's what I'm here to talk about, how I apply that technology to helping not just the police, but all types of people in the service area. Okay, we'll dive right in, Jean. But first, before you do, tell us a little bit about yourself, how people can contact you as well. And then we are going to hear about how you have helped people and what the tools are and how you think it works. But Jean Herschel, who are you? Well, basically, I'm a person who started out in the technology field, believe it or not, but I've always had an interest in the brain. So over many, many years, I've studied ways to help others and to help myself as well, and that led to neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis and a lot of other tools and some tools that I've created on my own to basically help people to 
acknowledge what their issues are and to reprogram them subconsciously and move forward in their lives. Okay, so then you you can be reached through vtrance.com. And do you have a number you want to give out just at the beginning of this? Yes, it's uh, 888-963-7245 for people who want to make an appointment. And about two-thirds of the work right now I do is by phone. So it doesn't really matter where in the world you're, you're located. We could do very effective work by phone. Or if you're in the area, of course, we could work in my office. Okay, so with that, that aside, Jean, tell us what you're doing with police officers and why it's working. Uh, tell us uh, tell us about that side of this presentation because these officers are horribly in danger. They have horrible things to manage out there in the community, things that we can't even understand. And they have a system that works against them and sometimes works for them. So they're facing so many conflicting circumstances. And now how do you help them inside themselves to be able to manage these these complexities? Well, the one thing I I want to explain is how Blame Amy works. So, you know, an officer comes to me or, you know, I work with a group and they say, hey, you know, somebody triggered me and all of a sudden, you know, I started going crazy and it, it wasn't like me and it certainly wasn't my training. What happened? And I say to the officer, it's not your fault. Blame Amy. And who's Amy? Again, Amy is a part of your brain and her job is to protect you at all costs. And if necessary, and she decides that you're in real danger, she decides that, then she triggers, she disengages your thinking part of the brain where all the morals are and your compassion and other factors. She disengages that part of the brain, and she engages the oldest part of the brain that basically just reacts. And that's where officers can get in a lot of trouble. So Mm -hmm. it's not their fault. Blame Amy. So are you saying that they're not responsible? Is that is this going to become a legal defense? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because I think our legal system doesn't acknowledge this simple artifact of our evolution. I mean, let's say, for example, if you're crossing the street and there's a car coming and you don't see it right away, somehow Amy gets this data and she gets you to react by jumping back and the car passes right in front of you where you would have gotten injured or killed, and you're fine. And later on, a few seconds later, you suddenly realize what happened, and and you don't even sometimes remember fully, or it seems like it happened in slow motion, or it seems like you're watching yourself. This is the effect of the amygdala. This is how the amygdala disengages the thinking part of your brain, so it's just a bystander, and engages the what I call the lizard part of the brain. So the lizard thinking is a quick reaction, jump back, don't think about it, and then later on you're free to consider what happened. Now the issue comes when we get triggered by something that is not a real danger, and then we trigger someone else. Now they're not behaving like a human, they're behaving like a lizard. So you have two lizards and it's either going to be fighting or running away. So to answer your question, it's not a legal defense necessarily. What's happening is, like I said, it's uh, an artifact of our evolution. The brain was put together over many, many years of evolving and layers and layers and layers, and it's not really connected. It's not engineered to work 
with all its components. It just, you know, we, we add a new part, we add a new part, we add a new part, and they don't always work together. So what we can do is we could retrain the amygdala or Amy and say, hey, instead of reacting with danger, let's recognize these situations that used to trigger us as safe and think through the process, use our compassion, use our morals, use the training that the officers have instead of jumping to that other reaction. And that happens through training, through visualization, and through light hypnosis. Okay, so then walk us through what it is you're doing for the officers, because I get the impression that you're simultaneously training the officer's amygdala but also training officers how to handle the amygdala of those individuals that are going to feel threatened by the officer. Um, Exactly. Okay, tell us more about the process and the techniques you use. Okay, so the first step is to get the officer to understand that it's not their fault. Now, the reason why I use the tagline, and by the way, this is, a, the, this is the title of a book that's coming out called Blame Amy, and that should be out in two or three months. Um, but the tagline, Blame Amy, does two very interesting things. Number one, it says it's not your fault. Now, if something is not your fault, you tend to relax. You tend to be open. If I tell an officer, hey, you're behaving badly, The first reaction is Amy kicks in and says, well, wait a minute, that wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. You know, it was the other person. But if I say it's not your fault, blame Amy. Now, here's how to retrain Amy to work for you in a more effective manner. Then all of a sudden they say, oh, okay, that's interesting. Let me listen. So by saying blame Amy, I'm diffusing that immediate reaction that says, hey, I didn't do it. And I open their minds to the possibility of, well, even though this is an artifact of my evolution, maybe I can evolve even past that and learn to use this mechanism in my mind for the greatest effect. Hmm. Okay, so then how do you go about doing that training? Well, the first step is to remember situations that they felt unsafe and sort them as situations that were um, that had the ability to be converted to a safe situation. So you're walking into a situation that you've been in many times, and all of a sudden that tightness starts coming in, Amy starts to kick in, and then you just breathe through it. Breathing is a very interesting mechanism because it's the only subconscious uh, mechanism that's also connected to the conscious mind. So you can't slow down your your heartbeat easily. You can't change your body temperature, but you could certainly breathe slower, breathe faster, take a deep breath, etc. And I know a lot of you are taking a deep breath right now thinking about it. So (laughs) it's a subconscious thing, and it's also a conscious thing. So that's one of the key mechanisms to engage the subconscious mind and to collude with that part to then say, okay, this outcome is going to be safe because I'm going to create a safe outcome. I'm going to use my training. I'm going to use my compassion. I'm going to connect with that individual who may be saying, oh, my God, it's, it's a police officer. What should I do? And they're all freaked out, and they're in their lizard brain. So the first thing the officer does is internal. They focus on their breathing, and they retrain the outcomes of previous 
situations and acknowledge that they were safe the whole time. Now, that this may be a bit creative because maybe they weren't completely safe, but they're creating a thought that they were very safe. And that enables them to then think through the process instead of react through the process. The second step is I give them tools to gain rapport with the person that they're encountering and get them to feel safe. And that may take a few minutes. But once that other person feels safe, they're much more likely to be completely cooperative, to behave in a way that is safe for everyone, you know, to put away a, a weapon if they may have, you know, jumped in, into that state of mind where, where they just react and they grab a weapon. Once they're thinking again, then the officer can deal with them in a very safe and very thoughtful way using compassion. So how do you, what do you say? Let's, let's, let's put you into the scenario. You're an officer, and I'm someone who sees you as a tremendous threat uh, to me, maybe I've been in jail before. I, I've been beaten up before. I, I've been r- racially maltreated before. Uh, so I, I see an officer as a threat on so many levels: my ego, my self-esteem, my safety, wrong, wrongful accusations. So I'm, I, I want uh, my amygdala kicks in, sees officer, and, and wants to attack or yell or run or something. What does the officer say and do? Well, in order to change behavior, and this, this applies to parents, this applies to teachers, any type of manager, in order to change behavior of people you're working with, lead. So the officer, in a very calm, very determined, very relaxed way, says, I'm here to help. I'm here to work with you and resolve this situation. And the way they say that is they notice the other person's breathing. Now, this is, this is a really interesting trick of the subconscious mind. The officer is trained to speak on the exhale of that person. Because when you speak on the exhale, I'm sorry? So, so when, when, when the person's exhaling, the officer is saying, I'm here to help you. Right. You, you okay. notice their breathing pattern, and you speak on that person's exhale. That's a very powerful sedative because it feels like the person themselves is talking. It's a little trick of the subconscious mind. If you speak on someone's exhale, and and they're trained how to notice the person's breathing, and it could be very rapid, it could be, and then eventually it'll start getting slower. And then the officer is able to then use other terms and other words to connect to that person. They want to first gain rapport and de-escalate the situation at a safe distance, obviously, if, if there's a gun in play, then there's a different set of protocols. We're, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a situation where the, where the officer is immediately safe, and they use these tools to de-escalate, as opposed to a situation where they're in immediate peril, then they have to use a different set of protocols. Oh, interesting. You know, I would, I would wonder to what degree, when you teach an officer to be calm, you actually are you interfering at all with the adrenal system that teaches them to be very quick on their feet in a very dangerous circumstance? So is it like a the opposite of what you want when you want them to be able to not use their brain but instead use their instincts to survive? Well, that's a, a fine line, and the way we address that is we retrain officers 
to simply be aware of Amy's work. And Amy, again, she will trigger the adrenal glands. She will trigger, I mean, the process of going into lizard mode is triggering the adrenal glands is to increase breathing and to deactivate the thinking part of the brain, the, the neocortex. So officers are trained to walk into a situation still mindful, still observant, but observing the distinction between an immediate threat and a potentially threatening situation that could evolve as a threat. So again, if there's a person holding a knife, but that person's at a safe distance, then the, the officer can use other tools to make things much safer for both themselves and for the potential perpetrator or, or the person that they're encountering. And by using these tools, they're making everyone safer, not just that person, but everyone around them and themselves as well. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky, tricky job they have being peace officers. <laughs> the word peace is so counterintuitive in terms of what they so often confront. I thank you so much, Jean Herschel, for just introducing us to your work. And I'm wondering if, as you exit here, that you can actually give us an example so that we can understand how exactly this did help an officer in a particular situation. I know you need to keep privacy, confidentiality, but can you give us an example that demonstrates or illustrates how this has been so useful to everybody involved? Well, there was an incident where an officer got back to me with uh, with some thanks, and they were very appreciative of being able to use these techniques, where they, they walked into a school situation, and there was, you know, one child was waving around what looked like a weapon. It turned out it was just a BB gun. But they were able to focus on their breathing, and they recognized that the gun was not pointed at, at anyone at at the moment and that it was potentially not a deadly weapon, and they used the tools to de-escalate. They connected with that child. They talked to the child. And they not only talked to the child, but they, they told everyone, look, that person's feeling very unsafe right now. We all need to work together as a team to let that person feel safe. Because the first order of business, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent, regardless, is to get everyone to feel safe and to get to the person acting up to feel safe. Once they're safe, then the consequences can be assigned. Okay, well, you know, you did something wrong, so you have this punishment, etc. But once they feel safe, you can deal with them as a human being. You're not encountering this artifact of our evolution that in some situations keeps us safe, but in the world that we live in today, very often creates a danger that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. I thank you very much. Jean Herschel, can you let us know how to contact you for other complications as well? Yes. Um, you could contact me at my website, www.vtrance.com. You could email me, Jean, G-E-N-E, at vtrance.com. Or you can call our service number, which is 888-963-7245. Okay. Well, thank you for shedding some light on another tool that officers and actually parents could use as well. So (laughs) thank you very much, and we will be talking to you down the road. Thank you very much.
Well, that was very helpful to have Jean Herschel here, but we also have another topic that's going to be on our slate today. Jamie, Dr. Jamie Kulaga, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, is going to join us in just about 30 seconds. So tune in as she teaches us all it means to actually be able to be a superwoman. Well, we'll find out more about that in just a few seconds. Dr. Jamie Kulaga, am I saying that correctly, Jamie? Yes, you're saying it perfect, Kulaga. I love it. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kulaga, I was practicing that earlier. You know, we have just been talking to Jean Herschel about the horrible situation that police officers face, and they each and every time, they have to be supermen. There's no question about it. And um, the ones that are just amazing officers truly are supermen, and I salute them in every regard. And I also salute the people that you service, which are the women, the superwomen that are on this planet. And yet, at the same time, boy, haven't we gotten ourselves into such a horrible circumstance believing we have to be a lot more than we actually can be so you're going to walk us down the path of what that means to be a superwoman but not drive yourself crazy (laughs) yes exactly that's exactly what i'm going to do um so we'll talk yeah yeah so we're going to talk a little bit about um women and you know, why we take on so much and learning how to say no without feeling so guilty about it and just a whole bunch of fun stuff. <laughs> okay, well, you are the author of The Superwoman's Guide to Super Fulfillment. And so yes. walk us, as I've read through your book, walk us through the process that a woman coming to terms with, I just have too much on my slate, I'm overwhelmed, I'm going to, I'm going to scream and holler, I'm far too tense and stressed, I'm way beyond my limit, I can't be the good mom, a good wife, Good lover, good good worker, good good businesswoman. I can't do it all in my house and the cleanliness, and the expectations, and the perfect figure. And oh my gosh, suddenly we're in no man's land here. So calm us down and move us back into center and tell us how we can do it. Well, first and foremost, women tend to struggle to say no. That's why we kind of look around and we're like, oh, my goodness, I have all of this stuff on my plate. How did it get here? Well, women are people pleasers by nature. So when we say yes to someone, we instantly feel fulfilled for that one moment. We got the smile from someone. We got the thank you. We're feeling good. We didn't lose that opportunity. But then we walk away. And we have a more full plate. We have more responsibility. We have more breakdowns. Now, when you say no, the payoff is in the end. So you're not getting that initial fulfillment of, wow, they're so happy with me. But when you walk away, you have less responsibility and you have more time to focus on yourself and the things that you actually want to focus on in life, like your top life roles, maybe being a mother, being a spouse, writing that book you've always wanted to write, whatever it may be. Um, So it's really focusing on saying no. And I encourage women, as hard as it is to say no, get in the habit. Here's a a great tip for starting this out. When people ask you to do something, start getting in the habit of saying, you know, let me think about that and I'll get back with you. 
that gives you a little escape. So you can kind of go to, you know, back home or hang up the phone and sort of think things through before you give the answer. We're very impulsive with our yeses, and that kind of digs us a little grave where we find ourselves lots of to-dos that we don't want to take on. Associated to that in your book, you're very quick about saying get over the guilt. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, so we tend to, so not only do we say say yes to everything, but we fear if we say no, okay, yes, we did it, we said no. Now we have this guilt, and we fear the feeling of guilt. So some way to sort of um, not feel so guilty when you say no, give pre-made answers to people. That way you're not like put on a spot and forced into something. So you say, hey, you know, I can't do that for you, but I do know someone that could could do that. Or, hey, I have some resources for you. Although I don't have time for that, let me give you these resources. Here you go. And you're not just walking away with a no and then like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just left them stranded like that. You don't feel so bad because you have this pre-made resource or these, these options for someone when you tell them no. And also, when you have your life roles in order and you, you look at them every single day, hey, this is what's important to me in life, when you say no to someone, you, your mind says, you know what, I said no to that because I haven't seen my children in two weeks. <laughs> um, I, haven't, I haven't slept in the same bed as my husband in a month. Okay, those are my priorities. I'm saying no to being PTA mom or I'm saying no to taking on another project at work because I have other things in my home that I want to give attention to. And when you put that in perspective for yourself, you feel less guilt because you're allotting time where it actually matters. Does that yeah. sort of make sense? Oh, absolutely. So so now you also say that a woman should take care of themselves. Now, when when do you cross the line of a woman being too self-indulgent that's a kind of strange phrase, yes, but yeah, that'll be a strange concept. I don't know if we've heard of that yet, but yeah. <laughs> uh, um, or too self-centered, or uh, being able to take care of themselves. What is the importance of taking care of yourself in in context of being a superwoman? You know, there is so much importance because you're able to do all these things that you, you know, we have to do. I, I kind of put that in quotes there. Um, you're able to, to, to do all the things on your list if you take better care of yourself, if you're happier, if you're healthier. You know, one thing that women tend to do is that while we're evolving in life and we're, we're going about our day-to-day routine, we tend to compare ourselves, that whole keeping up with the Joneses. So you're looking at the neighbor next door or the other woman taking her kid to school and you're like man how does she do it she has all these she does all these extra things i can't even do these five things but she's doing like a hundred things we have to we have to stop comparing because you're comparing yourself to something faulty you're comparing yourself only to the cover of the book you have no clue what is going on in somebody's life behind the scenes. It could be one way. You could be right. This woman is amazing at juggling everything, but also maybe she's not a single mom. Maybe she's got tons of support. Maybe she has lots of resources. Maybe she's very wealthy and can buy anything that she wants and all the help that she needs. On the other hand, maybe on the front it looks great, but she's going through a divorce. And, uh, you know, her, her father is sick with cancer and her kids are not healthy. And, I mean, it could be a, a million tragedies behind the scenes that you have no idea that these people are fronting. So be very careful as you're going about your life and you're setting goals to not compare yourself. Um, that would be one huge tip if you want to uh, sort of find fulfillment in life. Hmm. 
you know, your second chapter in your in the book offered so many different ideas about women building their confidence and I was I was so interested in realizing that you really don't talk about a woman building their confidence based on their beauty, their makeup, the crow's feet, or the wrinkles or the crinkles. And I really no. appreciated that. I so appreciated that. I kept Yay, looking, saying, it's got to so be in welcome. here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, makeup fe- makes us feel pretty for the moment. That's why I tell women, too, like with um. And I'm like, what do you want to do? And they're like, man, I would just love a nap or I would love a massage or a pedicure. All these things, the makeup, the massage, the pedicure, it gives us short-term fulfillment. It gives us fulfillment for the day or maybe the week. But what we need to look at, we need to look at our fulfillment on a bigger scale so that when we're 90, we look back and we're not like, wow, you know, I had 300 pedicures. I feel great about my life. <laughs> no. You want to, right? I mean, you, I don't think anyone's ever done that. Um, so you want to be able to look back at your life and say, you know, I, I did write that book. I did go to that university. I did, you know, push myself to be the best in here. I do have a healthy family. Whatever it might be that's going to fulfill you, that's sort of what you want to focus on. And in reference to building confidence, you know, I think that makeup is just this faulty, um, you know, it, it does make you feel, I, I, now mind you, I do write about the importance of making yourself feel good, not wearing yoga pants every day. That is a very important um, thing to do. You know what I mean? Um, But at the same time, that's not the only thing uh, that you need to do. And one way to build confidence is to focus on your self-talk. A lot of times I find women with great families or that just got promoted, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky to have a healthy family. I'm so lucky to have gotten that job advancement. No, you're not. You are not lucky. You worked for that. You worked hard for that. You worked hard for that family. You worked hard to get promoted. See, luck runs out. So when we talk to ourselves like that, we do lose confidence because you can only roll the dice so many times at the hard rock, and every every time you're lucky, it's going to run out. But when you've had that hard work and you've earned it, it's not going anywhere. Um, And that's what builds confidence is I landed this job interview because, uh, you know, or or this job promotion. I landed it because of three years of effort and pulling all-nighters and and, and taking on more than I could and doing whatever I could to rise to the top. Um, That's why I made it, and that's what builds confidence. So. Do That's you find that there's a difference? <laughs> oh, whatever. You do seminars with lots of women. Do you find that there's a difference in the generations? Because I work with women that are in their 20s, and I work with women that are in their 80s. And I find yeah. a different generational perspective on all of these sorts of things. What are you discovering? I do. I do, too. I find a lot of women, I would say late 30s and on, um, a lot of their goals um, focus uh, more on spirituality. Um, So it doesn't necessarily just mean religion, although that's a big part of it, but they're really focused on that inner peace um, and and that sense of balance and, hey, you know, I've never done this and I I finally want to do it. I'm there. Um, So really focusing on peace, I find that. And then in the younger generations, it is. It's balancing, oh, my God, I just had a baby, and I'm learning to be a wife, and I also wanted to go to school, and I need my first job, and we sort of go through all that. So every, every you know, sector, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, a lot of the, I would say, women in their 50s that come to me are looking for career changes. Um, they finally look back and they say all these extrinsic motivators, um, which is going to be like the money and the benefits and all these things that their jobs supplied them at one time, 
have run out and they're like, I need fulfillment now. And fulfillment comes from careers or things in life that provide what I call intrinsic motivators and those are like feelings like hey I really feel appreciated when I do this or um, I really feel like I'm helping the world when I do this and that's sort of the direction that they start going okay so then along these lines I also find that women uh, when they when their children are it this is this is a magical number it's a sad magical number actually when a husband okay. and wife decide to have children um, they yes. they walk into it very excited, but suddenly their relationship really does erode. And it, there's no way it can't because it's now being faced with, you know, chronic sleeplessness and crying and demands of a child. But there's something even more intrinsic in women and that their hormones are set to focus on the survival and happiness of the child and no longer on the sexual and emotional intimacy with their husband, and their husband feels it. And so now they feel very secondary, and they have no place in the superwoman's life, and the superwoman's hormones are absolutely not set on the path of sexual fulfillment with their husband. So they have to work against this hormonal thing that leads them toward their child and away from their husband. So what does a superwoman do in that circumstance? You know, that is, that's a very tough circumstance. But what I would encourage is that you set a date and a time, whether it's a a Saturday, whether it's a Sunday morning, whatever it might be, to have alone time with your spouse, even if it's not, you know, any for any sexual purposes whatsoever. It's just to be with that person, um, to ask them how they're doing, what they're up to, let them know that you care about them. One time a week at a scheduled time is better than never. Let them know that they're important. They do need to, men do need to know that they're important and that they're playing a role too um, and that you do care about them and you still love them and you still want to be with them. And even if you don't want to spend that time with that person because you have a million other things, that's the person that is going to be there for you uh, when the child is sick. That's the person that's going to be there when the child moves out. So you have to make sure that you are keeping your spouse in balance along with yourself because you have to take care of yourself so that you don't go into a postpartum depression, let's say. Um, It's very important to make sure that – you give to each of the roles, and you don't just hone in all of your time on that child. That child is so important. I have two boys. I cannot imagine not giving my time to them. But at the same time, my family runs very successfully because I do have my husband to help me. And um, I give him my time and my mind and my body, but then there's times where I say, I need you to take the kids so I can focus on what I need to do. Um, And that's where the balance comes in. And to be able to do it, uh, do it confidently. That you're yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And remember, it doesn't mean like, oh, my God, I don't even have a babysitter that lives in the town. This is my two-week-old baby. There's absolutely no way that I'm giving it to a babysitter or to anyone and leaving to go out with my husband for three hours on a Saturday night. You don't have to do that when the baby's napping. If you can take 20 minutes to let your spouse know that you appreciate them, that's important to do. Okay, you have you have your, your your list of top life roles, or, or or it's actually after your very first chapter. A superwoman has identified her top five lives. A, a superwoman focuses on giving a hundred percent to her top five roles. A superwoman yes. understands the differences between kindness and doormat. Oh, please take us down the rest of that list and discuss what you would want to on that list. It's a great description. 
Okay, well, I can start with the, uh, would you like me to start with the kindness does not equal doormat? Is that is yes. that where we would? Okay. Yes. So, so many times, <laughs> yes, so, so many times we, so many times we give ourselves to somebody because we think it's the right thing to do. Okay, yes, yes, I'll absolutely do that for you. Or sure, not a problem, I'll take that on. But then when you do it and you find yourself doing it again and then again and then again and again, those people are now treating you as a doormat. It's very important to set boundaries with people. You know, when you take on something, if you know you can take it on, but you don't want to take it on all the time, let that person know, hey, listen, I can do it this time, but typically on Thursday nights I'm busy doing X, Y, Z, or whatever you would want to say. Have that answer um, ready. But, you know, be very cautious because the minute you give to someone, it is human nature. People will take if you give it to them. Um, so what is it, the whole shame on you the first time, but after that, shame on me? And that's sort of where it's coming from. Don't let someone treat, mistake your kindness for you actually being a doormat. And that sort of ties into one of the tips that I always give women is uh, to rid of toxic people in your life. So make, making sure that you're doing a self-check. If there's anyone that plants seeds of doubt in your mind, anyone that lies to you, anyone that sucks your energy, anyone that just puts you down a negative path or doesn't believe in you, those people you want to either set boundaries with or rid of them completely because they will they will lead you down a path that is far away from your goals and away from fulfillment. Um, especially, you know, we have people that are just talk nasty and do nasty things, but the most evil ones are the ones that subtly plant seeds of doubt into your mind. And those are the people that you need to stay the furthest away if you want to reach fulfillment and achieve balance in life. Hmm. Any other, Okay, so I, what comes to mind is I had this wonderful opportunity to meet with five businesswomen. I did, not, I, I did not know these individuals. And I was so struck in talking with them how they would move and flow into their male side, the the business, how they run the business, how they deal with their personnel that's involved, what they do with marketing, what they're doing to promote, you know, the successes that they have. And then they would flu- fluidly move into a feminine moment, talk about their spirituality. They'd talk about the experiences they'd have with their family or friends. They'd laugh and giggle. They'd, they'd talk about men in their lives, so forth and so on. And then they'd move back into their business identity. And it was for the first time where I really realized that women now can fluidly become male inner, dominant energy, as we used to say it, and also be also present with their female side. This is good integration taking place. Any thoughts about that type of process you know, that's going that on inside of women? Happening, and I yeah, that is what's happening, and I think you know. And I want to say it's chapter two in the book. I don't have the uh, the book and the list in front of me right now, but you know, in chapter okay. two, I believe we talk about confidence as disguise, disguised aggression, um, and what that mm-hmm. means is that a woman that's a leader, a woman that exudes herself, a woman that can go in between what you were just talking about very fluidly, um, she's not being aggressive like a man, but yet she's seeming dominant. She's seeming to control the situation. She seems very confident, and that's what she's doing. She is bringing her confidence to. The the table, her confidence in all areas of her life because she is in balance. Um, And that's what's so important if you are a woman leader or you're trying to get there. It's not about being aggressive and being like, okay, well, how does Steve do it? Oh, this is what Steve does. He storms in and he throws his book down and he starts screaming and then he gets promoted somehow. How did that happen? Um, But that's not, it doesn't work for women and we can't change the world. I wish I could and I could say, 
there is perfect equality amongst everything, but that's not the truth. Um, but we can be equal to men by using our confidence. You know, so many women lack confidence or are self-defeating. So confidence sometimes can be a rare commodity. So if you walk in exuding confidence, you have put yourself, you have now you know, equaled yourself out to the man. You now are showing this presence among other women and men that you know what you're doing and you know the direction that you're going. Um, so I think that's what those women were doing. They're very confident in all sectors of their life. They can leave and talk about personal side of life, but yet come right back and be in that dominant professional world. They're very good at that, and that's from confidence. It, it strikes me that confidence is built not so much that you're like the other person and you can match them at their game, but that you're really good at your own game and your own style and that you know that that can flow, ebb and flow into whatever circumstances you're going to be moving into, that you don't have to become good at their game, but you want to be good at their, your, your own game uh, so that you have you to uh, to carry yourself into awkward circumstances as opposed to trying to figure out who they are, how you should be like them, how you should imitate them, which gets you off of your own sense of yourself. So absolutely. I, speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I, if I was trying to be you right now, I would be, oh, my God, I need to be her. What do I say? What do I do? How do I act? Okay, I'm not going to be confident in that because I know nothing about you. I don't know how you mm-hmm. do it. I don't know. But now I can be me, and I feel much more confident. Here I am, the expert in my field. I know what I'm talking about. I can share experiences. I can call on content. It's easy for me because I'm doing what I know. I'm not comparing myself to something unfamiliar. Um, and I think that that's what it boils down to is comparing. Um, and, you know, you really want to focus on becoming self-aware. When do you feel most confident? What are you doing? What are you wearing? How are you holding yourself? What are you not talking about? What are you talking about? And when you really just focus in on you and what you're good at and your strengths and being present with yourself, you're going to flourish and do excellent. Um, But don't compare yourself to the unknown. Don't compare yourself just to that book cover we were talking about because there is so much other stuff you don't know, and it's in the unknown that anxiety lies or that our confidence can decrease. So really, really just focus in on yourself, I would say, um, and that's where you're going to build your confidence. Um, And as you're focusing in on yourself, mind you, again, watch that self-talk, not to be beating yourself up. I should have done that. Oh, God, I ought to do that. Why didn't I do that? If you're sitting there in that type of thinking day in and day out, you are literally brainwashing yourself hundreds of times per day about things that you didn't do well or, or you know, decisions that you make that, oh, God, why did I do that? You're decreasing your confidence. Talk nice to yourself. Um, there's a great quote out there that says, be careful how you talk to yourself because you're listening. And I firmly believe that. <laughs> so, yes, That's you are. Yourself. You're listening to yourself. So be nice. You have so many uh, tidbits to offer for people to read your book. Again, we're talking with Dr. Kulaga, and her book is The Superwoman's Guide to the Super Fulfillment. And we're going to give you her contact information in a moment. But, you know, you mentioned in your book also as well to set appropriate goals, a great chapter, but we're going to move right on to when you find yourself trapped into trying to control other people. And I just have to say that I think Taylor Swift today has really illustrated how a woman very powerfully can say to one of the biggest companies in the world, uh, Apple, 
that no, you're not going to treat my albums or the people who write for me or produce my albums, you're not going to treat them with disrespect by not paying us. But she did it in a way where she praised Apple, talked about how she really uh, respected the company, that she understood what the company was trying to offer, but that she also needed to have them respect uh, their, her artists and the writers of the songs and the producers equally by reimbursing them, which iTunes was not doing. And guess what? Apple broke down. They said, yes, okay. And Taylor Swift immediately came back and said, that's great. That's wonderful. I knew you were a great company. I'm so glad that we've been able to respect everybody. I thought, boy, that's not controlling but that's influencing. So talk to us about what you offer in the book about women no longer needing to control, but boy, do we have the power to influence. Yeah, absolutely. I think that comes with the the great word for this would be support. She wasn't just about herself right there. She was about, hey, listen, I have this team of people. Maybe they don't make as much money as me. Maybe they put in more hours than I put in. Maybe it's just because I, you know, just respect them. Whatever the reason, she was in full support of her team. And that, I think, is very important as a woman in a leadership position, we have to look out for our team. Yes, we have to respect clients and customers that we have, but at the same time, we have to see who's who's backing us, who's helping us, and that's our team. Her team has gotten her to the level of success that she's in, and now she has the the high seat to actually stand up and influence, like you were saying, and and treat. This is this is about treating her team with respect, and she did that. And I think that that's that's very important. You know. We do talk a little bit in the book as the chapters come to a close about being able to give back. So you do spend a lot of your time throughout the book focusing on you. But once you get your priorities in line, once you know not to compare, once you're not so focused on perfectionism, your life is going to be running smoother. You're going to have more time. And then with that time, now you can take on opportunities of, okay, I'm going to support here. I can give a little bit more here. I can do more here. Taylor's in a position to influence, give time, give her efforts towards something that's going to make a difference, you know, definitely throughout this nation, if not internationally, for what she did. So I would yeah. say it really comes down to um, knowing she knew her priorities and she wanted to support and she had the ability and the, the authority to do so and she did. And I commend her on that. That was a huge move. And, and also the power to be able to try to create a win-win situation, not not belying anybody's reputation, but instead seeing no. that this actually be done fairly. It was beautifully done. Absolutely. There was no belittling. She wasn't outraged with Apple and goes on all these social medias and almost embarrasses herself. She did it very professionally. And you know what she did? She did it confidently. She knew what was right, and she went for it. And she went for it in a confident way, not that aggressive attacking way. Um, you know, how, how can I make it? You know, let me go scream at everyone. Let me social media this away and get all my fans on my side. She didn't do that. She was very confident and very professional, and that's why she succeeded in this. And Apple saw that, and they were proud to support her. They, you know, if she would have acted all, you know, like a, like a very foolish in front of everyone, Apple could be like, look at this, are you kidding me? But Apple didn't have a leg to stand on at that point because she mm-hmm. came across with the best asset, which is confidence. Well, now that we have to end this program, tell us a little bit how we can contact you. 
how we can get a hold of your book. And I see you're going to be traveling around the U.S. and in my area in August. Yay! So, Yes, yes, yes. so I'm on I'm on a book tour right now. You can go to my website, mindfulrehab.com, M-I-N-D-F-U-L-R-E-H-A-B, mindfulrehab.com. You can click on upcoming events, and it's got the list of my book tour. I'll be here in Florida. I'll be in New York in early July. Um, then I'll be in Santa Monica, California in August. And then in September, I'll be in Chicago, um, and there's so much more to come. Um, and then for the book, uh, you can go to Amazon.com, or you can walk into your local Books a Million or Barnes & Noble stores and grab that hard copy and the name of your book again is the superwoman's guide to super fulfillment step-by-step strategies to create work-life balance and we can find out more about you at what website yep mindfulrehab.com and that's uh once again that's m-i-n-d-f-u-l-r-e-h-a-b.com well we have had the privilege of being able to talk to dr kulaga now dr kulaga your parting words to all of us that are trying to be just ordinary women or maybe super women oh my goodness do focus on yourself you don't have to compare yourself set goals that that will provide you with later life fulfillment um and just just enjoy the journey just enjoy today just enjoy today beautifully said okay folks that is your way of moving forward both as the people outside the box who are police officers and how they handle horrible circumstances and women who can handle a multitude of circumstances inside their lives, outside their lives as well, with diplomacy, kindness, confidence, oh, and relaxation. And don't forget to do stress-free as much as you can. This is Dr. Carol Francis signing off from Make Life Happen. Remember, live outside the box, inside the box, with as much joy, happiness, fun, curiosity as you possibly can, and be at peace. Take care.